Hello and welcome to Rain City Bunker Show, uh, or the Rain City Bunker Show. I'm your host, Andy Brown, and I'm joined by Greg Moon. Hello, everyone. And uh, this is our third show. Uh, we'll, we'll stop uh, numbering them eventually, but uh, since we're still new, we're just going to keep, we're going to do that for a bit. Uh, yeah, and I think we've had a couple of successful shows. We did our first real interview uh, on our second show, the last show. And I think it went pretty well. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, yeah. And it looks like we're on about a podcast every two weeks pace. Seems like that's about the most we can do Yeah. with life interfering along the way. We might do uh, some earlier and some later. <laughs> but roughly a two-week pace, it looks like. Yeah. One, twice a month. Yeah. So uh, anyways, uh, one of the things I wanted to start off with is it kind of referencing some stuff from the prior shows. And one is the people who might have listened to our second show might have noticed whenever I was talking to Greg's uncle, um, Eric Miller, uh, there would be a strange noise, like a scrapping, scraping or tapping on the, well, what it turned out to be was me fiddling with the mic stand. I wasn't even uh, really thinking, and when I was talking and th- formulating my questions, I would kind of scrape the mic or tap it so that might be what you're hearing if you're wondering and, and Andy's gonna... pledged to no longer do that <laughs> yeah I'm gonna try not to do that anymore but uh we'll see and uh so one of the other things in our first ep- first episode we talked about one of our influences and that was uh coast to coast which was started by a guy named Art Bell and I got a subscription to Wired Magazine as a gift I think last year uh or maybe it was for my birthday I don't know but uh they have a really short interview with them. And it's funny because I think he, he kind of reflects the, the same belief we have about some of the things we're talking about. Like at one point they ask him, uh, well, uh, they ask him, why are people so drawn to the paranormal? And his answer is the same reason we're drawn to God. The greatest question of all is whether our experience on this planet is it or whether there is something else. Things in the supernatural realm give support, strangely perhaps, to the things we take on faith, like ghosts, for example. And then it's interesting because the next question they ask him is, do you believe in ghosts? And he says, I've never seen one, so I'm skeptical, but I do believe in the paranormal. There are things our brains just can't understand. And if that's what we're going to define as the paranormal, that's cool because that's kind of exactly how I think about it, is maybe there's things that our brains just don't understand and it's kind of, uh, you know, thinking about them is, is kind of fun. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll help in figuring out what some of these things are. And the same issue of Wired. Uh, oh, you have anything, anything to add to that, Greg? I don't want to jump right ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the same issue of Wired, which is if you're listening to this in the future. Which you probably will. Which you probably will be. <laughs> uh, or you're listening to it a couple months from now. It is uh, the May issue of Wired. And a few pages in, deeper than the Art Bell interview, they have this little feature about, uh, they call it Mad Scientists. And uh, I remember we were talking about uh, uh, J.B. Rind in the first episode, is the guy who studied uh, psychic phenomenon. And I mentioned when we were talking about that, that I didn't really think that there were anybody, there were only maybe a handful. I still think that's true, that if, if there is anybody studying it, it's probably just a handful of people. But they profile some guys... Uh, I'm not going to list them all, but they profile some guys here who are studying some of the similar things. Uh, there's a guy, Daryl, this is once again Wired Magazine that I'm getting this from. There's a guy, Daryl Bem, B-E-M, and he's the professor of psychology at Cornell University, and he's studying precognition. Uh, what is that, Andy? That is For people that may not know, like oh, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, precognition is knowing things before they happen. Okay. Oh, kind of, kind of uh, yeah. almost like ESP or... Right. Precognition. Yeah. Is that how you would kind of say yeah. it the long way? Yeah. Okay. Precognition. Okay. Precognition. Uh, and it's kind of weird. When I read this, I didn't quite understand what he was doing, but he has his subjects recall words that they've had a chance to study. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, they, they recall those better than the ones that they've only glanced at. And then he reversed the order of events and found that his subjects were significantly significantly more likely to recall words that they would study. So he found a statistical correlation to them uh, uh, knowing about words that they would study in the future. Oh, if that makes wow. any sense at all. I and, knew you were going to tell me to study that word. <laughs> yeah, basically that there's some sort of cognition to that. Uh, 
Then uh, there's, there's another guy here, Edward Kelly, research professor of psychiatry and neurobehavioral sciences at the University of Virginia. And he is studying disembodied consciousness. Uh, for example, like what would commonly be termed uh, out-of-body experiences. Uh, let's see. In an upcoming experiment, he plans to wire EEG and MRI devices to test subjects who report disembodied experiences to measure brain functions as they, quote, travel to designated places. Extra points if they can confirm their visits by identifying unique markers at the sites in question. So it sounds like he's doing more straightforward, like, let's look at what's happening physiologically. Not necessarily even is this phenomenon real, but like what's happening physiologically. What's happening in the brain of the right. subjects. And uh, then the, I think the last one, there's a couple other guys here, but the last one that is what we're talking about or what we did talk about in our first episode. And this one I find really kind of interesting. His name is Garrett Modell. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. M-O-D-D-E-L. And he's the professor of electrical, computer, and energy, energy engineering at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And see if you can follow this. He's studying the possibility of telekinesis. And that's moving objects with your mind, right? Right. Or like influ- Jedi mind moving things. Right. Influencing... <laughs> No, Jedi mind trick. Yeah, <laughs> Greg, I, you're we, a Star Wars yeah. fan. Well, they call it telekinesis too, but that's what Jedis can do. Move the things. Jedi mind trick is getting uh, uh, stormtroopers to let you get through with the oh, droids. Oh, I know that. I know that. I, <laughs> I made a little mistake. It's like when Darth Vader threw the uh, piece of the space station at Luke. Yes. That's, uh, yeah, that's... Telekinesis. Uh, telekin- yeah, telekinesis. <laughs> so his ex- experiments involve aiming a beam of light at a glass slide. And he did this in 2006 and 2007. Modell asked test subjects to use their brain power to increase the amount of reflected light. Uh, Expected reflection is 8%. Measured reflection, when he asked people to influence it, and this just shows you how micro these effects are, is 8.005%. This represents a tiny but significant demonstration of mind over matter, Model says. Asked to de- decrease the amount of reflected light, subjects had similar success. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So, But we're talking about a very a small very amount. very mic- micro but effects. But they would call it statistically significant. Exactly. Even though it is very small. And, you know, that kind of experiment, to me, is, you know, kind of an answer to, like, you know, the people who are critical, who say, like, oh, it's just sleight of hand. It, really? I mean... In that, in that circumstance, can you... I'm, I'm not saying his results are accurate. I want to see these retested, you know? I want to see... In that science, you have to be able to reproduce yeah, results. reproduce it. Reproduce it in another That's lab. That's of science. If it's not replicable in another lab, then, you know, yeah, then it's there's something then probably wrong. Then they may wrong. have fudged the data right. or had bad setup or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It has to be reproducible. But this and, is like a lot of times what, what skeptics try to say when they hear about scientific research, they're like, oh, yeah, I can do that, like, with sleight of hand or whatever, but can you... In a, can you modulate a laser in another room and affect the reflection of the? Yeah, of the glass? probably not. So it's stuff like that that I find compelling. But it, it, could it be flawed? Could could this researcher be so into finding the results that you know they're they might un- subconsciously be fudging yeah, data? That happens. Of you know? Now is this guy accepted as a reputable guy? Because you mentioned, I think, in episode one, that some of these researchers are kind of you know. Not it, viewed as real scientists or they're right. just by virtue of the fact they're involved with this sort of thing kind of diminishes their reputation a little. You know, it, 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 it's just a little brief article, but I imagine uh, I imagine in that in that world, yeah, they probably do get some grief for doing this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but I don't know for sure. But it's fascinating know. that scientists are actually looking at this kind of strange behavior phenomena that they talk about on Coast to Coast. Yeah. And they are, I mean, starting to or some are looking at it in a really scientific way and perhaps there's something to it. Yeah. Perhaps not, but yeah. uh, it's it's pretty pretty interesting that they're trying to really tackle that scientifically. So, uh, so yeah, that kind of takes uh, takes care of some of the stuff that we talked about. Okay. So to remind everyone, that was the May 2009 issue of Wired Magazine. That's Correct. That's where you got that Correct. material. In case someone wants to follow up, uh, there may not be, may or may not be a link associated with that. You know, Wired does, is pretty good about putting all their stuff online okay. and providing links to that. So stuff, as usual, know. we'll try to provide show links on the on the website. And I guess we'll transition to the next thing. 
Yeah, so you wanted to, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just, uh, Greg, this has been in the news quite a bit, uh, the, the tea parties that have been going on protesting, uh, well, I'll let Greg talk about it because he actually went to. Yeah, them. Andy and I, as we said in episode one, we want to kind of keep politics kind of a small part of this, but I actually did something that I never had, well, I'd done it actually once before. I went to a tea party. Uh, I went to two of them on, uh, it was the 15th, I think that was Wednesday. Yeah. And I went at noontime to the Bellevue. It was at the Bellevue City Hall. Bellevue, Washington. Bellevue, Washington. And then I went to the downtown Seattle uh, event at around 536. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, this phenomena kind of got started. No one knows how these things always get started. Uh, tipping point type stuff we can talk about later. But uh, I'd gone to the first protest, really, uh, on February 16th at Westlake. And it was very small. I estimated 150 people. And these protests, you probably are aware, are basically uh, we're talking about the uh, s taxes as part of it, but it's also the deficit spending. So, but it's it's kind of those kind of, and also another general theme of government getting big and and you know people wanting to rein it in. So anyway, did that. It was fun uh, at the Bellevue thing. I met a, a mutual friend of ours, Mark, and another friend of Mark's there. And uh, you know, you, you don't do too much. You kind of show up. Had a sign. People are speaking. It was hard to hear people speaking at the Bellevue event. And uh, then with Seattle, same type of thing. Some speakers. And this, these speakers, they seem to be lesser personality. They're no one I really heard of. One guy I saw at both events, he um, he's going to run for, or he had run for Congress against Jim McDermott in Seattle. So anyway, we don't want to get too deep in that. Just want to, you know, because the current numbers are about half a million people around the country at about 500 to 700. Gosh, I forget the number, different events around the country. So that was it. I kind of politi politically active. It, you, you're not sure you feel like you're doing much, but it's kind of fun to be part of a group. And right. you're doing right. well, it, well, is, what, is, what is your sense on that, Greg? I mean, do you think it's the beginning of, of a larger movement that w will influence politics? Or That's the big question. No yeah. one knows at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm actually really surprised it was as big as it was. Uh, but who knows? It's I, I don't think it's really centrally organized at this point. Yeah. So it could just fizzle and go away. Or maybe there'll be a couple more. And it, I think it's analogous to the war protests. Yeah. I mean, there was a series of war protests through ever since the war started, the war in Iraq. Yeah. And, you know, they may or may not have affected the way some elected officials view it. But who knows? Yeah. It all boils down to elections. So well, it was fun and interesting. And I think, you know, and, and Greg's very kindly allowing me to uh, not necessarily, well, some of it I'm rebut or respond to. Um, and this this is something that, you know, Greg invited me to go along, uh, you know, uh, with with the valid question of like, are, aren't you concerned about the spending? And uh, and I and, you know, I had a couple other people ask me, you know, if I was going to go to that. I, I, I just have a, a couple of issues with uh, the the whole Tea Party thing, and I'm not gonna go. <laughs> there's been much made of the, uh, you know, the the whole idea of teabagging being a uh, euphemism for something else, and <laughs> I, I that's been done to death. So I'm not gonna go there. Um, although I will, that does lead me to one of my first criticisms, which uh, I've read some pretty good investigative reporting or reports that the the beginnings of this were. Um, uh, were influenced by uh, what they're beginning to call astroturf uh, groups. Basically, they 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 kind of try to uh, create what it will be perceived as grassroots. That, that brings up kind of a, a you know chicken in the egg sort of question. Like, uh, just because one of these groups, I will say yes, just because one of these groups uh, started it, does that does that mean it's not valid? No. You know, because definitely there's obviously people with a lot of, you know, uh, motivation to go out there. There were a lot of people showed up. But uh, the group uh, that was one of the key groups behind this is a group called Freedom Freedom Works. And they were created by, or, yeah, I believe they're created by Dick Army. And uh, they were also behind a lot of the... Uh, the drilling, you know, the drill baby drill type uh, stuff. They okay. wasn't that Newt Gingrich also involved because he might be. He, he might became be. involved with the drill baby drill. Right, right. I'm not aware of that name yeah. of that group. Or yeah. I know Dick Army. Yeah. He was a former representative from Texas. Yeah, I and uh, 
you know, if people, please feel free to yeah. look any of this up. And if I've got it wrong, you know, let me know. That's that's fine. Yeah. And um, all I can speak is from personal experience uh, is I found it on the Internet for the first one in February. Yeah. And I believe the woman who organizes a young woman, yeah. mid-20s, I think, um, as far as I know, she, she was a math student. I'm not sure what she does uh, as a job. But right. as far as I can tell, unless I'm being hoodwinked, is I think she's just a normal person who kind of feels right. passionate about this. However, that doesn't preclude the idea that, hey, people want to jump on board and get credit. Right, and right. I know the Republican Party is sure. trying to jump on board, and they've yeah. actually been kind of stopped at certain junctures. But, no, I mean, that's perfectly – I can totally yeah. – I'm not, and it, and I I'm don't not have, saying there's no powers beyond right. the grassroots involved. Because right. when you have a, something this big, people want credit or they want publicity or something. Well, that's – now, that's the that's slightly the disturbing thing about the Freedom Works uh, because they've been – there's been kind of an attempt to hide their their influence on this. Uh, yeah, once, I haven't heard of it, so I want to yeah, yeah. know so, more about that. So once again, so there, that that's one of my problems. My, my second is – uh, as Greg said, you, you feel it's it's to kind of protest two things: the 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 tax, uh, uh, the way the tax just high taxes, high taxes, the idea of high taxes, and um, and government spending. And but I kind of feel like there was a little bit of confusion about what these were really about. I, I think you could get it's not a, strictly defined, in any right? Right, and I think you could get a certain number of people to come out to an event by just saying like, "Hey, come out with us and protest taxes." And look, I believe you know. There's that old cliche. There's there's nothing certain in this world. I don't even remember who said it. Was it I don't Franklin? Know. It, Might have been Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like there's nothing certain in this world but death and taxes. And there's oh, and there's if you want to add another certain thing to that, there's going to be a certain number of people who just don't want taxes. And I just don't think that's realistic. And if you're gonna you're gonna look at it from the tax perspective, as I understand. Obama's tax policy, it actually is taxing at a what was it something like uh, you know because it's it's largely tax increase on the wealthy and it's actually less taxes on the wealthy than Reagan had. And once again, look up the yeah, details yeah. And, and and come back at me at that if you'd like. Yeah. Um, well, all it, I, I can speak to is my motivation, yeah. and uh, I I don't like taxes. I wish they were lower, yeah. <laughs> but. That's not my pure. My strong motivation is looking at the projected okay. and actual are bad enough, but the yeah. projected spending, uh, deficit spending. Yeah, and, I'll, and I'll just I'll, and, and I'll quickly you know, I'll be quick that's about my it. My personal motivation. Yeah, I'll be I don't quick, know what other people are there for. Right. But. I'll be quick about it, and I'll and and but I, I have kind of a point about that too. But uh, but as I understand it, that you know uh, taxes are coming down for the middle class and poor. But let's look at the other thing, the spending thing. Now. You know, people are rightly concerned about the massive spending, and I know Greg. One of your big concerns are these these companies that can't fail, or these institutions yeah, that can't too big to fail is the is the thing. And you know that is tough. And you know, there's like two. There seems to be like two gambles uh, that uh, that the government can take, and one is you know obviously letting them fail, and the belief there is that the market will eventually stabilize and uh, become healthier as a result of letting them fail. And, you know, I there's a certain part of me that actually believes that kind of tilts that way, that believes that that is really what would happen. Um, but the other thinking is, is uh, no, the, the damage would just be too devastating. So we have to make sure that we keep these companies going. And, uh, you know, because they'll just, if they fail, the econ- it would be a cascading yeah. effect. And, and the- we had talked about this the other day, and I kind of agree with this maybe i don't know but i would prefer we didn't but we have put in a lot of money in those companies they're going to survive hopefully at this point there's been a lot invested in them. but when this is all over if if there are companies that are too big to fail and this is kind of somewhat on the left wing of the spectrum yeah. is they shouldn't exist yeah and and when things settle down if citibank is so big that if they fail it brings down the whole american economy well Perhaps we should take a closer look at exactly at that, and that's not um, normally something I'm in favor of. But during yeah. this crisis, you you heard that being said, yeah. too big to fail. So that means yeah. they're too big to exist, in my yeah. view. And I think and, I think that kind of shared on both sides of the spectrum. Maybe. Yeah, and tell me, but tell me what you think about this. I, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Greg, and um, it's he kind of agreed with this. I mean, he he wishes it wasn't so, 
but I think really there's there's no politician that you could vote for and and I'm not a Ron Paul supporter with the with the exception of Ron Paul that would let these companies fail that wouldn't have done a stimulus package yeah. or a bailout package and I think it's because and here's the reason why I think it would be political suicide because it, it, you'd ha- you'd have to be really naive to think that even if letting these institutions fail uh, that it would be an instantaneous recovery. It would not be. We would really. I think we'd really be hurting for a little while. We we may Probably be in for that two, anyway. A year yeah, or two, maybe. We more, or more, knows. and we may be in for that anyways. But any politician that let these institutions fail and and the resulting pain, resulting pain, resulting pain, he would be run out of town yeah. on a rail. Yep. So I don't think you're going to find any politician that's going to do that. And that's just. I, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's real politics. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's not Obama. That's not yeah. McCain. You don't get reelected by causing pain. Right, exactly. And I think that's actually part of what's causing this great kind of movement, at least temporary movement, whether it's permanent or not. It's just people, they're just kind of seeing beyond the, the, the politics a little bit. I, well, think, I hope so. I think whether you agree or not, yeah. I think people are just really upset with the politics. Well, now, now that brings me to my last point, and then this is it. Then we'll, we're done talking about this. Uh, well, I mean, you know, we, we can't be done yeah, talking we'll about on. this. We've already spent more time than we thought. Yeah. Is is that, and I'm, I'm sure you saw it, like, you know, and this is something, you know, having gone to a few uh, uh, protests in my lifetime on, you know, on the left side of things, there's always those kooks and nuts. And one one thing that I found over particularly over the last eight years and since since September eleventh is somebody will find some kook that agrees with a couple things that I believe and they'll say, Look, this guy is saying or doing these kooky things. And then and you he's get imp- plastered with it. Yeah, and he, I get plastered with it. And it is kind of interesting to me to see. Now I saw some of the footage and I've seen some of the pictures that there's some pretty outrageous stuff. I mean, they had like pictures of Obama as Hitler. You know, the word fascist was thrown around, which I'm not saying it it doesn't get thrown around at left-wing stuff, but it's interesting to see that. And I I hope, you know, for some of the more reasonable people that they will go, oh, this happens. You know, these sort of things draw people who are on the fringes, uh, like our our mutual friend who went to the one in in, uh, downtown Seattle. I think Greg didn't see this but he said a couple of neo-nazis showed up and they were booed out of the crowd you know but you know that's that's something to keep in mind is that just uh uh you know there's variety i mean when yeah. you have well like, I, I well v- variety but there's also fringe yeah yeah well variety includes the fringe <laughs> yeah. uh i i estimated because i'm uh as i think we mentioned a scientist background engineering background i love numbers so i was estimating the crowd the crowd in seattle estimated at 1600 yeah and there were some posters that kind of try to paint Obama as a socialist, which I think isn't as wacky as painting him as a, a, a fascist. But uh, but it's pretty wacky. If you if you if you accept <laughs> that and say that's not too cringy, yeah. Uh, there were one, there was one person that I noted noted that had a sign. It, it appeared to be kind of an anti-Semitic sign. Yeah. And um, he wasn't really well received. But yeah, I'm, you're going to get that. I mean, when you have a big event. It gets publicity. You're going to get people on all sides. Thinking. Like even the WTO, oh, uh, yeah. probably 95, 99, yeah. some big percent were normal people who don't were opposed to that yeah. world trade thing. And then you got the anarchists who yeah. were breaking windows and stuff. And that's a small percentage, but they get the press. And, and I So think that it, confuses the whole group. Yeah. And I think it's always good to remember that uh, often what makes the news is what's the sexiest. Yes. So most it's the person, the person who's willing to say the most outrageous or do the most outrageous thing. So – Ugh. Cool. Well, Done with politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's part of life, you know. And uh, I, I hadn't been involved before, so it was interesting for me. It was just a life experience, and uh, not much to it, but just kind of interesting being a group <laughs> of people that have uh, an issue uh, in their mind. Anyhow, another thing we want to talk about is, I guess we we talked about maybe in the beginning we'll do kind of like real life stuff. Andy and I and another friend went down to the Sci-Fi Museum in Seattle at the EMP. Experience Music Project down Seattle Center. We would say it's a, a, a wing of the Experience Music Project <laughs> Museum, but they it's kind of an amorphous blob, so it's hard to say that it's a wing. But it's, it's at a, the base of the space. It's a, yeah. Anyone who lives in Seattle knows what it is, and maybe yeah. some people outside Seattle. So anyway, uh, Andy and I are both kind of self-admitted geeks, so we went down the Sci-Fi Museum, and uh, it was fun. They had a, a special robots display, which was really pretty um, sparse. Yeah. But they had the Terminator robot, exo the skeleton. Yeah. 
That's had, always the coolest. They had a war robot that they used in these movies, and uh, it's it's for people who've seen the Terminator movies. It's like the large. Oh God, what is it called? Like it's little, the hunter killer machine. It's like the large treaded, like a little tank. tank. Yeah. Well, but it, in the movie, it's supposed oh, to be huge. Big. It's okay. supposed to be huge. It looks small in person, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a blast. And magic I saw, of Hollywood. <laughs> I saw a book that I had read in fifth grade, and I'd forgotten the name of it, but I, it stayed my. You know, the story was strong in my mind and I saw that book which was really interesting White Mountains a science fiction book written I think in the 60s or 70s so that was kind of cool to have that little nostalgia thing come back seeing that book and remembering oh that was the name of the book I'd forgotten yeah. that yeah they have it's they have besides a lot of movie props it, it seems to be very movie and TV prop heavy but uh, they also have uh, you know profiles of various sci-fi writers and uh, what's interesting is a lot of like the manuscripts like handwritten manuscripts uh like i'm a neil stevenson fan and they had they had his entire uh what's called the baroque cycle i believe is the name of his trilogy and he wrote it all by hand i mean this <laughs> wasn't, wasn't like that long ago either, no right? it wasn't like 50 years ago it was uh it was uh yeah it, you know there was just recently still writes uh, it looked by like hand. three phone books because yeah. he had wide spacing on his yeah. writing yeah so so and in the realm of science fact that is almost like science fiction. Uh, Greg and I each have a story. They're both short that we wanted to talk about because they they were both kind of interesting to us. Mine, I actually caught this on a local TV news. Uh, They were talking about a a group. Their name is Hope Lab and uh, is a nonprofit organization that combines rigorous research with innovative solutions to improve the health and quality of life of young people with chronic illnesses. And this is what was cool is they have come up with a first-person shooter game that uh, – do you think we – do I need to explain what first-person shooter is? It's kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, if our parents are listening. <laughs> yeah, if our parents are listening. That's basically like where you're – you have the perspective of somebody with a weapon. It's usually associated with like war games or or, or you know, and games. They're, they're where really you're, popular. They're really popular. You move around and you shoot fingers. things and so forth. And theirs is a game where you you play this kind of nanobot character that's going around inside the human body, uh, basically like blasting away different sort of cancer cells and bacterial infections and so forth. And then they they include like information uh, when you do that, and uh, it's almost kind of like. That that old movie, Fantastic was it Fantastic Voyage? Is that the name? Oh, of it? Uh, when they go in the body, and when they go in the body, yeah. and they're they're tearing up cells, and yeah, so they're, they're helping the immune system, right? Yeah, and what I thought was really cool about this, and they interviewed a couple of the people who played it, uh, is that even if it's doesn't if it does nothing more than this, I think that it's valuable. Uh, they felt like they kind of had some sort of control over their situation you know these are people who have been fighting cancer and that's it's a very kind of out of control feeling and uh but they they found actually that the results are is the uh the people the the overall this they have this word but i can kind of explain it uh the overall self of Oh, now I'm not going to be able to say it. Efficacy. Yeah, we talked about the pronunciation (laughs) of this. That's what screwed me up. The self-efficacy score of the patients increased significantly, and that's their feeling of power over their situation is basically what. And uh, this is the the other interesting part. Uh, The people who played the game maintained higher blood levels. Uh, By the way, the name of the game is called Re-Mission, like Re with a dash Mission. Uh, the remission players maintained higher blood levels of chemotherapy um, and showed higher rates of antibiotic utilization. In other words, they took their their meds when they were supposed to and everything. But that's interesting that they're like their blood levels. I mean, so it, it's kind of that positive thinking and visualization and so forth. And, you know, frankly, as a psychological thing, and I was going to talk to you about this, Greg, uh, you know, my my father died of lung cancer. And if there had been video games around when that was going on, if I could have played a video game where it was like attacking the cancer in a body or something, because I had visualizations of that when I was a kid, like I would visualize almost like I didn't know what nanotechnology was because that was, you know, the early 80s. But I visualized myself in almost like a Fantastic Voyage sort sort of situation, like going around and, and you know blasting the cancer cells or or 
surgically removing them and everything. And I think that it just giving people a sense of some sort of control over po or power over their life is kind of a cool yeah, thing. And before this video game, I recall, I can't specifically recall where I read it, but I remember hearing uh, doctors or psychologists giving their patients this sort of visualization of you're going in and you're killing these individual cells. You're, you're killing them. You're wiping them out. Right. You're making progress against this disease. Right. And before this video came out, and I remember them saying that, yeah, that's a very positive uh, way to help deal with it. Yeah. The power of the mind really is very powerful, yeah. and uh, to harvest that power, yeah. it seems, you know, I think there's probably even studies, and I, I, I know there's studies, I can't yeah. cite them right here, but there are certain things in life, if you have a positive, strong attitude of you're, you're, you're making progress, you're winning, yeah. that helps. So even before this video game, I think this idea of visualizing the warfare like you did with yeah when your, your dad was ill, it helps. It yeah. helps deal with it, and uh, especially for the patient, I think. It helps stimulate the um, immune system. Or There's some positive effect, it seems, from this. And we'll have a link to the to this company, obviously, in the in the story on our uh, website, too, if you're interested. Yes, yes. And then I had another kind of medical story. This was kind of interesting. I So, you know, I'll be surfing, and some of the sites I like to surf will have these kind of links of the odd, or one site says, dude. That yeah. means it's something strange or unusual. And in this case, uh, this is from Great Britain. I seem to get a lot of my weird stuff from Great Britain. Uh, Metro Co. UK. I'm not sure it's a newspaper in Great Britain. Anyway, the headline is woman with a phantom, uh, man, uh, <laughs> let me start over. Woman with a phantom third arm. And uh, here, here it's real short. I'm going to read it. A stroke victim has developed a phantom third arm, which he uses just like a real life limb. Tests have proven that not only does the woman brain move the arm as if it were real, but the rest of her body responds to it when it's touched by the phantom hand. She sees the new arm and can even scratch and itch with it. <laughs> that is say. weird. And it is the first recorded case of a patient being able to see, feel, and move a phantom limb, the research team told the Annals of Neurology. And they think that the study could provide the missing link between this phenomena and out-of-body experiences. I, I don't remember reading that, so that's interesting too. Uh, she's a 64-year-old woman lost the use of her left arm, but her brain recognizes an illusory limb that had taken its place. So, you know, yeah, she, she lost her, her left arm. And then finally here, scientists at uh, Switzerland's Geneva University Hospital used magnetic resonance imaging to confirm that her brain was issuing commands to the phantom limb and acknowledged its actions. Phantom limbs often occur when a patient loses an arm or leg but can still feel, feel the missing limb. So in this case, she lost the use of one of her limbs, but her mind essentially created a new limb. Yeah. And what's amazing to me is that she can scratch an itch with that limb. <laughs> That's her, weird. They, they res you know, they checked out her brain. Her brain is issuing commands as though yeah. it were a real limb. As, so, there, as if there was, and it was, and it's getting kind of feedback a little bit too, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, weird. And this woman had a stroke. You know, when you have a stroke, blood and oxygen is cut off to part of your brain, right. and that's probably what killed the right. use of that limb. So. The brain is very powerful and can readjust and yeah. do interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess those two stories were kind of related yeah. in a weird way. And uh, eventually, I'm sure we'll talk about out of body experiences. But that was interesting that they're saying this might be a missing link between yeah. uh, that phenomenon and out of body experiences. So, uh, <laughs> and now we get into the realm of myth, perhaps, or this this is where I would put it. Uh, so, my buddy Jason, who lives on the East Coast. Um, Listened to our our first show and made a couple of critiques and then a request. Uh, our first request. Our we're first very request. pleased to have any feedback because <laughs> sometimes we feel like we're just kind of talking to each other in my basement, but it's fun, <laughs> so we're gonna do it anyway. But it's great to get a little feedback. So he uh, he wanted to know about the Montauk monster, which I had heard of. It's a story that's been out a little less than a year. The, the original story kind of broke in July of 2008. And uh, I'm going to warn everybody up front, if you don't, if you, <laughs> it's kind of accompanied by a gruesome photo that may or may not be some sort of dead animal. Uh, I don't think it's that gruesome. The yeah. body seems to be intact. Yeah, okay. Part. Yeah, uh, it's, just, it's a little gross. <laughs> a little. But apparently what happened is back in July of 2008, uh, this creature washed up on the shore of Montauk, which Montauk is located in, I, th I think I read the south coast of Long Island. And uh, 
there's something else we're going to talk about with in regards to mod talk but first we will talk about this uh, let's see it was reported by in a local newspaper the independent by jenna hewitt 26 of montauk and three friends and they said they found the creature on july 12th at the ditch plains beach two miles east of the district the beach is a popular surfing spot uh by the way i'm reading some of this off of the wikipedia thing just to give proper credit uh it's a popular surfing spot at Rheinstein, Rheinstein Estate Park, owned by the town of East Hampton. Uh, Hewitt is, was quoted, we were looking for a place to sit when we saw some people looking at something. We didn't know what it was. We joked that maybe it was something from Plum Island. I'll just make a quick reference. Plum Island is, and this is a, this is a real thing, it's a government biological research facility. Uh, where they do uh, bioweapons research. And oh, that's, do they do bioweapons? Because yes, yes. in the Wikipedia entry, they say uh, Plum Island Animal Disease Center. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they look at the effects of biological okay. weapons. Okay. Yeah, so. so that's the title, but you're telling us what it really is. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's good books written about it. So uh, just a quick description of it. If uh, We'll have this link, obviously, up on our website. But it looks like a – to me, it looks – kind of like the body of almost like a dog. Uh, and it's has no fur, and it's kind of that, uh, like a pink and gray color. and But the weirdest feature is its head and face. It, it, it appears to almost have a beak. It appears to have some teeth, but a, and a beak. It's very, it is really weird looking. And if I, I ran across this on a beach, I'd... Yeah. And one of the theories in the, the Wikipedia article is that it was a turtle because... Yeah, the face looks kind of like a turtle with a beak, or it could yeah. possibly even be some sort of bird. Yeah, missing its it shell. It does look basically. like a turtle head. Yeah, missing its shell is per- perhaps what it is. Yeah, and it, you know this this story's been kind of bouncing around the internet, and I'm sure they talked. I know they talked about it on Coast to Coast. I, I know that for a fact because I heard them talk about it. And some people, you know, think it's there's a variety of uh, ideas. Like they think it could be a raccoon. Or some sort of rodent, or you know, a dog, like I said, or a sheep, all sorts of things. Uh, but you know, a couple of like, what do they say? Like William Wise, director of Stony Brook's University's Living Marine Resources Institute, uh, and he he interpreted the photo along with a colleague, and they deemed the creature a fake. Uh, and he thinks somebody created it out of latex, like a special effect sort of thing. Um, I know when they talked to the, you know, when people tried to find the body, they, I think even the original people who reported it, they said they went back and it was gone. They thought maybe somebody had buried it or gotten rid of it in some way or another. Now, interesting. Take a look at it. See what you think about it. I kind of, I have the feeling that it's a known animal that was out in the water for a long time and just got disfigured and bloated by ex- exposure to the water and that somebody probably did just remove it from the beach and burn it or bury it or something. But the reason that I, f- I find this kind of interesting, and I know my, f- my buddy Jason doesn't know about this, but Montauk is also the location for kind of a, a conspiracy theory. A, a conspiracy theory. Yes. Thank you. Where, there was a book that came out and I've actually tried to read it and it's kind of unreadable. Uh, <laughs> Poorly written or just kind of yeah, weird it just facts con- thrown it, it together. Confusing, yeah. Not, and the name of the book is, I believe, called The Montauk Experiment. And it, so what they propose, let's see if I can find, uh, let's see. The earliest citation of the, this is once again Wikipedia, the earliest citation of the Montauk Project is uncertain. But elements of the story have circulated since at least the 1980s, early 1980s. And uh, I'm looking here. I'll just keep kind of talking. But uh, there was a book written. Like I said, I've read it. And I, right now, I cannot find the Well, I think the, the, the author. The, the kind of the center of the premise here is that they were doing kind of experiments with electromagnetic energy. Right. Well, the, the key thing is, is it's supposed to be a project that was a continuation of the World War II uh, most likely mythological uh, <laughs> experiment called the Philadelphia Experiment, which if people don't know, although it is kind of in the, the common uh, knowledge, uh, supposedly uh, th- this is a real ship. There was a ship called the Eldritch, and uh, 
but the rest of 43 during World War II. Right. They were trying to cloak it, essentially. Well, that's the rest of this is probably mythological, but I'll just tell it as. (laughs) Well, yeah, according to the the myth. Yeah. According to the myth, the the ship was real, but the rest of this is probably a myth. According to the myth, they were trying to uh, come up with a new way to cloak ships uh, against enemy radar. And using uh, electromagnetic uh, process with it, like basically like a very powerful electromagnetic field. Um, now there may be some. I, I just as a quick aside, there may be some origins in reality because there is a thing called degaussing, which uh, is a real thing where you, you kind of uh, it, it doesn't make ships invisible, but it makes them. I think it takes electrical charge off the ship. Right, yeah. And somehow electrical charge probably makes it more visible. Yes, exactly. Radar. Yeah, I, believe, I think you got that right. So anyways, what apparently happened is they turned on these giant electromagnetic fields with, with you know, there were supposed to be sailors on the ship and, and you know, they had observers in other ships, uh, you know, uh, some distance away from the Eldridge. And apparently, according to the myth, the Eldridge actually became invisible. And it was, it just was invisible for a few seconds and then they turned off the equipment and then it reappeared. And supposedly the sailors who were on board the ship, uh, suffered all sorts of weird effects and they, you know, started (laughs) like fading in and out of reality. And supposedly when they brought the ship back, there were guys who were, who were half in the bulkhead and half out of the bulkhead and died horrible deaths and everything. Kind of like a transporter thing. From yeah, Star like Trek. a transporter accident. Got, got transported into the bulkhead. Yeah. That so, would not be fun. So anyways, uh, some people or folks or a group of folks took that, that what I believe is a myth or a legend, and added on to it and said that the government continued researching that phenomenon at Montauk at a, at a naval base there. An abandoned... Uh, uh, says AFS is that Air Force or Air Force Base? Yeah. Well, I don't think it wasn't abandoned when they were supposed to be doing it. But uh, you know that that base does in Montauk does have a really big uh, radar dish, which is still there. I believe. I think you could still go there. Uh, but apparently they they experimented around with time travel and <laughs> there's dimensions teleportation. Yeah, read read down some of the list of some of the things they they think yeah, happened there. It says uh, experiments were conducted in teleportation, parallel dimensions, and time travel. At Sion or about August twelfth, time travel project at Camp Hero interlocked in hyperspace <laughs> with the original Project Rainbow. I guess the Philadelphia experiment. Yes. In nineteen forty three, the Eldridge was drawn into hyperspace and trapped there. So all kinds of funky, alleged funky behavior. Even right down even to the idea that so, uh, entities or beasts were brought. I think one of the, the stories. Interdimensional creatures. Interdimensional creatures. I think there's even a story that that's how the pro, the program ended is they unleashed some sort of interdimensional beast that destroyed the facilities. and Yeah. Which has some kind of connotations. Well, in the movie The Mist by Stephen King that we oh, saw yeah. about a year ago. yeah. The premise of that movie was that some experiment went horribly awry and some other dimension... They opened up a portal. ...posed yeah. into our dimension. Yeah. Things went horribly wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess Stephen King might have been inspired. Yeah. By or they might have been inspired by him. It could be either way. <laughs> but so, this, this goes back, though. The yeah, Philadelphia yeah, think, experiment yeah, idea. Yeah, So yeah. this is kind of but the cousin Mont- to the Philadelphia experiment. Right. They, they continued these bizarre yeah. uh, experiments, alleged experiments. So, uh, any rate, uh, I will now, maybe I one of, heard of this. So this, I just heard about this today. It was really yeah. fascinating. Andy, Andy brought this up and yeah. I, I didn't even really know what the Philadelphia experiment was. I knew there was a movie, but I thought right. that was totally fiction, but it's yeah. based, based on a sort of myth yeah. about what something that right, right. kind of like area 51. Yeah. Kind of a, it may or may not exist or inform some form or not another. Yeah. So if, you know, I travel periodically out to the East Coast and maybe one of these days I can get somebody to drag my butt to Montauk and I'll see if I can contact any, uh, you know, extra dimensional entities or something like that. Uh, but oh, uh, well, one last thing. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, in episode one, we talked about our strange uh, occurrences oh, yeah, in yeah, Andy's please. life, my life. My thing was like a wave, what appeared to me to be a wave of time space, like just, a distortion of time space. Yeah. And they Wait, just in actually, here. Greg, go ahead and just really quickly say, you were with a friend in a car. Yes, yes. Uh, this was back in the probably early 90s. 
uh, a buddy of mine was going through kind of a rough time, and we, we had gone out, and we were just sitting there chit-chatting about the situation. Anyway, we were just sitting there in what appeared to be kind of like an allu- uh, a mirage. Yeah. Or, you know, when, like when a heat wave, almost. A heat wave. Yeah. When you see the picture, uh, movies, people in the desert, you see the shimmering yeah. distance, like the distance is being distorted. It was something like that appeared to come through us yeah. and through the car. And we looked at each other right after I perceived it to happen and said, what was that? Yeah. So we both perceived this thing. And it made me think about it. And here they're, they're talking about warping time space. Right. And so well, what crazy, we- crazy out there thing. Yeah. Maybe what Rob and I experienced was a wave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just be like coast yeah. to coast a little bit. A wave of a uh, time space distortion, maybe from the Banger submarine base. Uh, well, one of the, you know, this is this is kind of interesting. Uh, one of the conspiracy theories they say related to this is a uh, Enrico Chekhov, a Spanish-Russian dissident, reported in 1988 after defecting to America that a satellite surveillance captured during the 1970s showed the formation of a large bubble of space-time centered on the site, lending further support <laughs> to the D1 base time tunnel. Research. research and that's what i uh, had read when i yeah. thought of my little thing but so wait maybe i'm not I'll... saying it was i'm not yeah. sure the thing i experienced was a real physical yeah. thing but i might have to look up this enrico Chekhov, uh, see if he's a real person yeah well evidently his apartment got burgled yeah. and those photos were taken from oh i hate it when that happens men in black were there yeah the men in black they're they're pesky uh so anyways that's part one of uh one of my friend's requests, uh, my friend Jason. And the next part is going to be, and uh, hopefully this is a surprise to him, a story by my mom, uh, a true story uh, that she's told to me and I kind of related to my friend Jason, probably not in the in the best detail or, or the most accurate uh, manner because she experienced it, not me. And we're going to interview my mom, which should be fun. And she's going to tell the story, and it's... It's, it's a very unusual story. Andy yeah. told me that story, and it, it's it's very... I never heard of any sort of story like that, except in the movies. Yeah. So, so this is a... It's pretty fascinating, really. And my mom swears by it. She swears it happened. So that's coming up next. Enjoy. Hi, we're on the phone with my mom, Ann Brown. Uh, you still go by Ann Brown, right, Mom? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we're, re- we're recording now, so... Uh, Basically, we're having my mom on because she has kind of an unusual story um, that we think would fit in nicely to what we're doing on our show. And I'm here with Greg, and uh, I'm going to just kind of introduce my mom a little bit and introduce the story a little bit, and then uh, then we'll uh, let her go. And and we'll ask questions, and and I can help you along, too, if you you feel like you're stuck in the story. So... um, this is story. So when did when did this take place, Mom? This was about <clears throat> like this was in the '60s when you were pregnant with Cassie, right, my older sister. Now, actually, she was about maybe a year old. <laughs> every time we do so far, this is two interviews that we've done, and every time I get some fact wrong right in the beginning. So, <laughs> so she was about two years old. Yeah, about that. And and how do you do? You remember how old you were at that time? Mm, I would have been in my twenties. <laughs> okay, but in your 20s. early twenties. And uh-huh. It's a crazy age, so I might explain part of this. <laughs> so, um, uh, and do, do you remember what year it was, or do you feel you don't feel embarrassed? Oh, I, I really don't. Is it? It, it would have been uh, probably well, sixty something, two, sixty-three, something 62 like or 63. that. Sixty-three. That sounds about right with Cassie's age, if she was mm-hmm. about two. Um, so, uh, and and this is basically so you and Dad were kind of a. This is. You're fairly newly married. You'd only been married a couple years, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you were going to college, if I remember right? You were taking some college classes? Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, we were living in Grand Rapids, and I was taking an extension class that was uh, uh, off of division over in, the, in that part of Grand Rapids. So I was driving there. I think it was like one or two nights a week. I think it was actually two nights a week. Okay. That I had to go, and uh, it was you know, taught. Uh, the teacher was from Western Michigan University. Okay. And these were music classes, right? No, no. This was actually a history class. <laughs> and uh, oh man! <laughs> so it was a, a class that I hadn't had when I was in college, and I was taking it 
just to get it out of the way. Right. <laughs> so just uh, just for folks that don't know my mom, you, you were a music major in college. Yes, I was. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, and that's something just just to, so they get to know you a little bit. That's something that you've, you've done music your entire life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, there's great pictures of my mom with, uh, as a teenager with a big giant, um, uh, uh, what do they call it? Accordion, right? Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I taught accordion when I was in college. I took lessons. Oh, when I was started, when I was really quite young and then I, so you were it, an accordion and helped expert. me pay for my college. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not many accordion experts around, are there? <laughs> no, not too many anymore. And one, one of these days we're going to get you an accordion, I think. <laughs> So, um, so this is not like a ghost story. I think that's probably what people are going to be no. expecting. Um, no, not really. And why don't you, why don't you tell, so you, you were coming home from the class, right? Right. Actually, we were living in a trailer park in uh, Grand Rapids off of Division Avenue. Greg, and... Greg's laughing at me right now because he turns, he just realized I was born in a trailer park. Oh, <laughs> no, actually, you weren't. We were out of there by then. But <laughs> but anyway, it was, uh, I had gone to the class. I, I think the class started at 7 o'clock and ended at 9. And I was coming home. And I honestly can't remember what time of the year it was, but I don't think it was real warm. It was, you know, like spring, maybe cool weather. And we had a, a big hospital I think it was called Pine Rest, and I'm not exactly sure. I think it was more of a psychiatric place or a place where people went, kind of a rest home type of place. Like a, like a halfway house. Yeah, that kind of thing. Not, not an insane asylum or anything, <laughs> that, but, uh, but a, a place where people went to, uh, to kind of recover from different things. And I had seen the building a lot, a lot of times because I'd gone by it. And it was kind of off the road, but it was a, a big building because it was a hospital. And I drove by the building or started to go by the building and I had to stop because there were fire trucks and there were people everywhere. I mean, and, and you could see that the building was on fire. And you could see, you could I, see, I'm sorry, mom, I don't mean to interrupt, but you could see flames and smoke and so forth. Yeah, you really could. Yeah, it was. And, and there was just, much excitement. Yeah. Like, and, you know, when you have a fire, you have a lot of people that come and watch. I mean, everybody goes to a fire. Right. <laughs> now, how, were... how, many, how many people, and, and I apologize for interrupting you. I'm just trying to get mm -hmm. some of the details. But um, um, how many people would you, I know it was a long time ago, but how many people would you like kind of guesstimate were uh, milling around? Well, it was kind of hard to say because there were many cars. Right. You know, the people would come in their cars, but there were people walking. And uh, the the one thing that I remember was one man walking with a little boy on his shoulders. And he walked in front of my car, which was stopped because we couldn't get around. And he kind of touched the, the hood of the car. And I remember the little boy in particular because he looked excited, you know, going to watch this fire. And finally, they, you know, it was just like anything else. They had people directing traffic, and I got home, and I went in the in the trailer, and I said to your dad, "There's a there's a big fire down the street," and uh, he said, "Well, let's let's go see if we can see what's going on." <laughs> Not <laughs> we much entertainment in those days, oh. huh? <laughs> Huh? Not much entertainment in those days, huh? No, not much. No, not when you don't have any money. <laughs> so we took the car and we drove, you know, we drove back down and there was nothing. The building was fine. There were no cars. There were no fire trucks. Nothing. It, it was, it didn't happen. It, it absolutely To you, it apparently happened. Uh-huh. In your mind, in your experience. Well, yes. Yeah, to me, it definitely, and I, I mean, I remembered it, and I, I recounted it to Andy's dad, you know, just like it was, to me, it was real. I had no clue what happened there, but it was very, very strange, and we, and he believed me, because I was absolutely, <laughs> I was absolutely convincing that this thing had happened, and it's something that I haven't forgotten for years, that it no, just, was, oh, sorry, and it's never was, was that in your neighborhood? 
That was near huh? where you lived. That that hospital was, was it, in your neighborhood. Yeah, we lived. It, it's kind of a busy area down there. Not a very good area, and uh, there's. You know, several roads going off of this one. Division is the main street. Now it's even busier. You know, we've gone back and taken a look at the trailer park and so forth. And it's it's a very, very busy area. Okay. But I, I, I just, I have no idea what, it was just a very strange experience. The, the reason I ask is uh, if it was your neighborhood, perhaps there might have been people you would have recognized in the crowd. No, I didn't, I didn't recognize anybody. That We really were fairly new to the area we hadn't we had lived in Kalamazoo for years and moved to, to Grand Rapids so we didn't know very many people and it, it wasn't the type of thing where it, it wasn't the type of neighborhood where you would get to know people really right maybe was, a little bit kind of young families starting out yeah sort of it was a transient thing you know where you stay you could only stay as long as you had to and then you would move so but uh so, Mom, how far away was uh, would you guesstimate that um, that that building was from where you guys lived? About two miles. Oh, I, for some reason, I always thought it was further away. Now, mm. am I remembering the story wrong? Because um, I, I apparently have already gotten a couple details wrong. But did you guys call the the local police to see if there had been a fire? I seem to remember that. Yes, was, did. You, you did. Mm-hmm. And, and they said there, there had, had there wasn't anything. No, no. No, and I got I got to ask since. You went back, you followed up with your husband. Apparently nothing had happened. How do mm-hmm. you explain this thing that you experienced to yourself? What do you think? I, Any idea at all? You must have wondered. Oh, yeah, and I didn't explain it. I have no idea because it never happened. Nothing like that had ever happened before or since. Yeah. It was, And I'm not yeah, the like, type of person to have hallucinations <laughs> or to believe in ghosts or anything of that sort. Right, but that's something I want to just, emphasize to, to people listening is my mom is not somebody like who talks to dead people or, <laughs> you know, sees UFOs or, or even, you don't even really necessarily believe in a lot of that stuff, right? You, no. I know you no, think some of it's fun and everything, but you don't, you don't really, you're not like a big believer in that kind of stuff. No, no, not at all. No. Well, I got to continue with this line. Do you think maybe it was a hallucination, or do you think this is going to sound crazy? But I, I don't know. It's such a kind of wild story, anyway. Did you like jump out of normal stuff, time and space, and go somewhere well, else? Well, you, you know, that's kind of a strange, that is kind of an interesting question because, in we have been reading and and uh, looking at different things about the um, different dimensions, you know, they talk about the string theory and all this sort of thing and and uh, quantum mechanics and <laughs> and the possibility of time travel, which is probably not possible, but yet an interesting theory. And you wonder if for that very split second I was in something else. No, but on the other hand... You know, I I hate to, well, it was a little more than that because actually the car was stopped, but you don't know because time wouldn't have been the same. It's just, it was just a very strange uh, experience. Now, um, uh, I just have a couple of weird questions. Like one, how how far back from the road was that building? Like, was it? It was a ways back. It was like you would have had to have driven in a driveway to get to it. So maybe like... So, I mean, it, it was very visible right, okay. from the road, but it was also kind of a... Well, you think of a hospital, you right. know, how you ride back oh, okay. to the front door. And, and how, uh, I guess, how big would you guesstimate it was? Like, was it like... Because you, you, I, I think of it as like a house, but maybe that I'm not thinking of it correctly. No, it was more like a, a building, like a um, like a hospital. Like a small clinic then. Okay. Well, not even a small. Not it even was a quite small a big one. Um, and uh, uh, so what? I just have to know, like, what after you guys went back and and saw that it was, it was fine. Did you did you guys talk about it at all, or how oh, did yeah, you feel after did. this happened? <laughs> yeah, I think your dad thought it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, we did. We talked about it, and I kept trying to say, but I know there was a fire there. <laughs> I saw the fire trucks. So, but it's been a long time ago, so I was trying to remember if the building was, you know, how far it was back from the road and so forth, right, but right. I don't remember now. But it was, a, it, 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 uh, it was definitely a, a building that you would remember if you went by it. You know, you'd see it every day. 
So, so your it, husband. It was not a house. It wasn't a. <laughs> so were know. you worried about your own mental health? Oh after, yeah. I mean, after that happened, and how I didn't long? Did, really if, if you were worried I, about it, how long were you worried about it? For a day or two? I, or? I don't think I was that worried about it. It was just. It was just. You know, I figured some, if I had if I had had it happen more often, I probably would have. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's funny because that kind of reflect. If, I don't know if you've listened to our first podcast, but that's that's similar to a little story that I told. Not not the um, kind of you know playing with the idea, slipping into another dimension. But uh, here, way back in college, I like heard this voice out of nowhere, and yeah, mm. just for a brief, yeah, for a little while, I was like, uh oh, you know. But it never, mm-hmm. nothing ever <laughs> happened again. So, and um, mm-hmm. so I have to forgive me, mom, but I have to ask this because I know people are going to ask. You were not on any medication, or you didn't have the flu, or anything like that. But according oh, no. to your memory, no, no. Marijuana, and the, alcohol. The thing, that always, the thing that always bothered me is it was it was at it was in the evening. Of course, it was night, you know. And I thought, could I have momentarily fallen asleep? Yeah. You know, that's something that you always think. Geez, here I'm driving. Could I have fallen asleep? Ooh. Yeah, that's and, a scary thought. But if you did, yeah. it's a pretty lucid dream. I mean, dreams aren't mm-hmm. that clear always. No, they aren't. And that that but that was something that went through my mind too. That well, gee, maybe maybe I fell asleep. But <laughs> and, uh, and you didn't have a very uh, progressive professor who offered various. <laughs> what, are you, what are you getting at, Greg? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's I don't trying think to, he's trying to make you into a proto hippie, Mom. I think that's what he's. <laughs> So. No, this this guy I don't think was very progressive. <laughs> but, so, but um, so wow, I, I I'm trying to think of what else, what else is, uh, and and you never had anything like that happen again. Oh no, 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 nothing. I gotta admit, nope. I never heard a story quite like this. I mean, I've heard of ghost stories and UFO abduction stories, but nothing quite like this. It's almost as if. Yeah, it's just it's it's really unusual. I think because hallucinations mm-hmm. are a whole different thing, and this was so yeah. brief, and you just continued on with your normal life. Oh yeah, right. It wasn't uh, it wasn't anything. Uh, it didn't even disturb me. It wasn't anything scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it wasn't anything scary. It was just uh, I just took it as a normal thing. You know, it was a was a fire, or it would be like going by an accident and having you. Having you know, having to stop your car because the police were in the road. And you, that you, was kind of the type of thing it was. You don't have any recollection of feeling strange when that was going on, do you? No. 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 You mean like out of body experience, right? Or right. Or Not just a all. feeling, just a feeling of something odd. Mm-mm. No. no nothing. Do, do you it think? Was could it possibly? I mean, I'm just because I'm a you know spiritual person. Was there any kind of spiritual message you may have gotten from that thing? That, no. That incident? No. <laughs> no, I don't. That, that that didn't occur to me either. I I uh, no no. Well, it was just it was just a very it was a common thing, something that I would have expected to happen at that particular time with the you know the road and so forth. If there was a fire, and that was it. Well, Mom, let me be the first to say that if you slipped out of the universe and then back in, I'm glad you're back. <laughs> and that if you if you replaced another Anne, well, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm glad you're you're my mom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you. And we are we'll have to take a a ride back and see if I can find that building and yeah, see if it's burned. Yeah, do you think you burned. could? Because maybe I, it was a premonition. <laughs> <laughs> that would be what I would think would be really interesting is going to see. You know, going to see it now. Well, we could look it up on the internet. <laughs> yeah, if it well, burned down ten years ago, you could true. find out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that that's true. Yeah, then we could uh, we could do that. I don't know. It's been a long time. That would have been well, Cassie's in her forties, so that would have been a long time ago. Yeah. But um, it, it's kind of interesting. And it, and the thing is, you know, whether I'm remembering the building accurately or not, I don't know. But I sure remember. The the thing that I remember most is the man walking in front of the car with the little boy, yeah. which, which always he, is he may or may not odd. have existed. Well, that's it. Yeah, I you, you said he touched your car, right? He touched mm-hmm. like kind of saying like, he touched, "Hey, we're here." Yeah, right? he touched the hood yeah. of the car, kind of to balance himself. You know, yeah. people do. Yeah, and he had the little boy on his shoulders. Too bad you didn't I take remember that very clear. Take fingerprints. <laughs> yeah, my mom used mm-hmm. to work for the FBI. <laughs> 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 so, um, 
So wow, well that I think that's that's pretty much it. Do you think there's anything anything else you want to add to that story or No. If I if I look up the internet and I find out that none of these things existed, I will let you know. <laughs> okay. And you know, I know there's another um I don't want you to, to go into it now, but I know there's this kind of this kind of scary dream. If you don't remember, I can I can remind you at a later time. And I think we're gonna be collecting stories from uh, friends and family about like ghosts or anything kind of creepy. And I mm-hmm. might I might uh uh, ask you to relate that if if you don't mind, but that's, oh. <laughs> that'll be another thing. Okay. And um, wow, well, thank you so much, Mom, for telling that story. And I mean, I think it, it's kind of brave because you know you're kind of uh, saying like this weird thing happened, and I'm not really sure you know what it was. So, yeah, and uh, all ten of our listeners may uh, <laughs> find it interesting. Okay, alrighty. Well, you have a a good night. <laughs> all right, you too. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Sam. Okay, thank you. Love you, Bob. Love you, too. Bye. Our thanks to Ann Brown, Andy's mom, for sharing that uh, interesting and very unusual story. Uh, Thanks for listening. Andy and I are planning more interviews going forward, uh, but we never know. we got to coordinate it with people. So uh, either join us again on Episode 4 for either more interviews or more stories or both. Thanks.